Thank you, Steve. Uh, today's reading is going to be out of a few chapters. So uh, the first one will be in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, if you're at home, have your Bible or have a Bible app, feel free to turn on to that. Or if you're here in person, you can look at the insert that was placed on your chair. And if you're here in person, feel free to stand for the reading of God's Word. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 24. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper to fit him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And next will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor, rev nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And finally, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome, Central family. Uh, welcome, everybody who is joining in with us online. And uh, a particular welcome, I want to welcome my friend and my brother, Paul. Paul, welcome here this morning, and thank you for coming and joining the conversation. Uh, we were joking this morning when we saw each other. We said, uh, I said, oh, you got the memo about wearing a cardigan? That's good. Okay, yeah. so uh, <laughs> we didn't try to be twins this morning. Uh, that was not planned. Maybe we're just mind-linked already. I don't even probably, know. Yeah, uh, probably. We're, we're probably on track. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I invited Paul this morning uh, to join me for a conversation in our Ask Anything series. Paul, we're going to get into stuff in just a minute, but why don't you just quick do a quick high-level introduction. You're going to tell your, your longer story in a moment. Uh, but yeah, just sure. give everybody just a quick sense of who you are. Well, I am a Victoria boy. I was born and raised here. Um, now I work in, uh, on the mainland as a teacher, and uh, I attend a church in East Vancouver. It's Mennonite Brethren, though. I hope that's... It's not Baptist. Is that okay? <laughs> I, is that okay? Okay, yep, that's all right. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I hope yeah. that's okay. I got Mennonite blood in me, bro. Okay, it's okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you, Paul, for coming. We really, really appreciate it. Um, if you're new to Central, if you are just joining our live stream for the very first time, uh, let me just quickly introduce you to our subject. Uh, what we're doing, we're doing this series called Ask Anything, 
And in the Ask Anything series, we opened it up for anybody to ask questions, anybody to, from the internet to people in our church, and then they were voted on, and we are now preaching through the top questions that people voted on. And right near the top of the list was, list was a whole bunch of questions around the whole topic of homosexuality. So let me just give you the questions that you asked and that you voted on uh, to be preached on today. Here's the first one. Is it sinful to have same-sex feelings? Number two. Can I publicly identify as homosexual and be a Christian? Number three, how does the church justify its teaching that the LGBT community, TQ community should not enjoy civil rights equal to the rest of society? And then finally, how should the church relate to the LGBTQ community? Lots of easy topics. Maybe, you know, you just want to wrap it up right now, quick summary or... No, no. <laughs> we're going to dig into this one. Uh, so you ask these questions, you use the acronym, you know this, just in case you don't understand the LGBTQ acronym, and actually usually it has a plus on it, and sometimes also has a two S in front of it, just to quickly define our terms for you in case you're unfamiliar with this. L stands for lesbian, so that is a woman who is emotionally and uh, romantically attracted to the same sex, so another woman. Uh, the G represents gay, which stands for a man or a woman who is emotionally, romantically attracted uh, to somebody of the same gender. The B stands for bisexual, that is people who would be uh, emotionally, romantically attracted to either gender or both at the same uh, both at the same time. So a man could be attracted to a woman and a man uh, romantically. Uh, the T stands for transgender, so that would be somebody who would say, biologically, my body is male, but I feel like I am female. I do not feel like I am a male. And Q is kind of umbrella term, stands for queer. It includes anybody who would identify uh, within those previous categories and kind of as a catch-all category for anyone else who would uh, want to put their sexuality under that term. The plus, which usually is added to it, just is meant to be another inclusive term for anybody else within this community, and usually it has a two S in front of it, uh, which refers to two-spirit and is the language of indigenous people. So that is a long acronym. Uh, I trust that you are aware of this acronym already, but just in case, I thought we should get everybody up to speed. A couple other things I'm going to do is just as far as introductory comments before we even get going. First of all, just a note for parents. Uh, obviously, children nowadays are learning these things younger and younger. You are, we are leaving this up to you. Uh, if you want your children to uh, join in this conversation today, we're recommending probably best for kindergarten to grade six to do the kids program and grade seven and above to join. But parents, you can make your own decisions. Secondly, maybe you're joining our live stream today or maybe you're here today and maybe this is even your very first encounter with church. You heard about this somehow and you would identify as gay. This is how you would describe yourself. I want you to know that you are very welcome, and we are glad that you can join us today. Maybe you're also part of the central family, and uh, maybe there's, this has been something that you have experienced in your life, same-sex attraction, and this has been part of your story, but you have not told people, and this is something that you have been struggling with, something you're trying to sort through. I want you to know also, you are most welcome, and I am glad you're tuning in, and I pray that this is going to be helpful for you. Third preamble comment. Lots of preambles on a topic like this. Sorry, Paul, we're going to get to you <laughs> no, in a moment. Okay. <laughs> uh, third preamble comment is to simply say, of course, this is a hot topic. It's a sensitive one. I am asking for Paul and I that you just extend us a little extra grace even than normal. Uh, sometimes not the exact right word gets used. Sometimes you don't nuance things exactly right. I'm asking for a little grace. We're going to do our very best, but please extend us an extra measure of grace today. The fourth thing is I want you to notice that the questions today are very specific. So when we are done, you're likely going to say, yeah, but they didn't talk about this, or, but what about this? 
How come they didn't talk about that? Well, you're going to be right. We cannot cover everything. We have a limited amount of time, and your questions are very particular, and we're going to try to make sure that we are faithful to answer the questions uh, that you have asked, and so we are also going to be specific. Then finally, just to uh, transition to inviting Paul to be here, uh, I, I started preparing this message actually a few months ago, and I thought, you know what, I could just do a, a normal sermon like I, I do in normal cases, but I thought you could be more well-served if I had a conversation uh, and so that's why I invited Paul here today. So this is not an interview. I don't just ask questions and Paul talks the whole time, unless you want us to change the format last <laughs> second. No, no, we'll, <laughs> no, okay. we'll stick with the conversation. This is, maybe you want to call this a structured conversation uh, because obviously we have some questions. So each of us are going to talk for a little bit here, a little bit there, and we'll have a conversation as we move along. Enough preamble comments? Are we ready to go? You ready to go? Yeah. All right. Um, Paul, uh, first of all, we just want to get a little bit of your background, uh, kind of some of your story. So I know that you are a Christian. Uh, you confess belief in Jesus Christ. You love Jesus. You trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Knowing some of your stories also, I know that you also experience same-sex attraction. And so maybe I can just get you to share a little bit of that story. We'll give you the floor for a little bit so people sure. can get to know you. Yeah. Uh, give some of that background, and then we'll, I think that'll transition nicely into our first question. Great. Yeah, thanks, Barton. Um, and I think first thing I want to say is it's not my story. But really, okay. it is, it's God's story. Okay. It's God's story in my life, the story, um, this grace-filled story of Him wooing me out of my own self-sufficiency into a deep, loving relationship with Him. And so, jumping in, I was born in a Christian, a loving Christian family. Uh, my parents raised me going to church, and they were the first ones who introduced me to Jesus. At a young age, I guess I was sufficiently compelled by Jesus' promises and the threat of hell, uh, to make a very transactional relationship with God. Basically, I said, you save me from hell, I'll be a good Christian. Do we have a deal? Uh, and, 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 and for me, that was pretty easy at the start. I'm a firstborn, I'm a rule follower, um, and so I was pretty good at holding up my end of the deal, or so I thought. Uh, things got a little more complicated, though, as, um, my, as puberty hit and my sexuality started to emerge. Uh, it didn't emerge, though, as I had anticipated, uh, as I realized that I was sexually attracted to men. And at the time, that was incredibly distressing for me, um, because I understood what God teaches us in the Bible about sex and marriage, and I wanted to follow His Word. Um, and so at a late age, around 11 or 12, um, I told my dad about my attractions. Uh, it was a very scary thing to do, um, but I knew it was important to share with someone. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier that this is a grace-filled story, and telling my dad about um, my attractions was one of the major moments of grace in my story. He, he responded exceptionally well to my confession, and I know that it wasn't easy for him, um, then or in the coming years, but he discipled me uh, in those early days to see my attractions, not as something that uh, disqualified me from love, but rather um, something that was a challenge that I had to face. And he faithfully walked with me uh, throughout my childhood as I was navigating being in the world and also being in the church. Both of those areas were challenging. And it was challenging to, ha to do that with what felt like a thorn in my side. And I say thorn because um, even as a child, I really related to those verses in 2 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul tells us of his own challenge. We don't know what it is, but he had a challenge 
It was a thorn in his side. And he, he, it says he pleads with the Lord over and over again for this thorn to be removed. And, and I did too as a kid. I, I asked that God would take this away from me. And just like for Paul, God, his re- response was not to remove the thorn, um, but rather to say, and he said this to me, that his grace was sufficient for me. Um, I, th- I think, though, that there's more to that, those verses that applied to me, because it says in that passage that the Apostle Paul, he got that thorn, he was given that thorn so that he would not exalt himself. And you recall at the beginning I said that in my testimony, I felt pretty good about being a Christian, that I could follow God's, um, God's laws and expectations. And my sexuality proved to be a continual source of temptation in my life. And that, that served as a continual reminder of my need for God. And so that transactional relationship with God had to end. I couldn't, I couldn't uphold my end of the deal. And so it became a dependent relationship where I had to fully rely on God for my salvation. Um, but I think the biggest point of grace in the story um, is, it, is that you'd, you'd think that in those moments of failing God, that you know, he, he would be up there and he'd be looking down at me and, and maybe he'd be angry with me or maybe, or maybe even just exasperated. You know, as I'm, as I'm messing up, he might say, well, fine, if you can't be good, I, I guess I'll still love you. Um, but, but that's not at all what our God is like. That's not what I have come to know about our God. He, in fact, he knew from the beginning that, that I would not be able to hold up my end of the deal, that I would not be able to follow him on my own strength. And that's why he said to the Apostle Paul and to me, Paul, uh, and to all of us, that when we get to that place where we desperately need him, when we realize our utter weakness, that's when his power is perfected. And that's what I found, mm. is that God has used my sexuality as it is to be the channel through which he has loved me in really incredible ways. And it's also the channel through which he has worked in the lives of others. So it hasn't been easy, um, but looking back, I can see that his story in my life, he's used the circumstances, including my sexuality, uh, to draw me out of my own self-sufficiency and into this, his loving arms, and I wouldn't trade it. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. that. That takes a lot of courage, first of all, to not just share it, but to do it publicly like this. So I do honestly uh, thank you for that, and that is got a lot of grace in that story, and I'm mm-hmm. so pleased to, for instance, hear your dad's reaction. We often hear stories uh, of the very opposite, uh, and what a great example that is. So yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that, Paul, okay. uh, yeah. and thank you for joining me in this conversation. It honestly means a lot. Um, so let me just piggyback a little bit on that. Um, you, as you say throughout your story, and I think everyone has heard very clearly, of uh, you see your need for Christ, you have trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sins, you believe that it's faith alone in Jesus Christ that saves you, all, you got all the right truths figured out, correct? Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing all this, <laughs> uh, check, check, check. Right. Um, I think though a lot of Christians in, in the church are going to struggle with the idea that you could say you believe in Jesus Christ and yet you experience same-sex attraction. These, a lot of people don't know how these things go together. So I think right. this segues really nicely into our first question. So again, your first question that you asked for us to teach on and uh, to speak on was, is it sinful to have same-sex feelings? 
so this is the question we're getting at right now. So as a, as a believer, a man who confesses faith in Christ, is it sinful to have same-sex feelings? And just first of all, Paul, just to quickly jump on this, my first impression was I really, when I, when I saw all the questions that you asked for this whole series, this question and, well, actually, probably three of the questions in this today, I was like, I am so glad people are asking these questions because this is, I don't know who this is coming from, uh, but it could be somebody who's experiencing same-sex attraction and they're having a lot of struggles from within on how to deal with these things, how to sort all that out. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but it's, this is not a theory. Uh, this is clearly real yeah. people dealing with real life. So I really like that question. Do you have any just kind of overall thoughts on the question itself before yeah. we try to answer it? Yeah, I, I like it too. Um, I think the idea of same-sex feelings applies to so many different people. There are different people who experience same-sex feelings and they identify in different ways. It might be gay or lesbian or queer or same-sex attracted or no label. And so I see this question as being quite inclusive of all those people. I, th I also think it's such an important question because people like myself, we carry a sense of shame uh, in, our, in our life, that there is something particularly messed up about us, more than the average human being. I mean, no one's perfect, but that there's, that there's something particularly wrong about us. Um, and that's, I think that has been a message that's been shared in the church in the past, maybe unintentionally or and sometimes very strongly intentionally, but there's that feeling, and then there's the feeling that we, we can't talk about it. We can't. So I'm so glad that it's being brought out, and we're talking about it, and yeah. hopefully it'll be helpful. Okay, good. Uh, let me just ch chat for a moment uh, and kind of give a bigger context for this. Let's just, even just talking with some younger people, and they say, what does the Bible even teach about marriage and homosexuality? Let's just do a quick, let me do a quick flyover, and then, and then I'll try to answer the question, then I'll turn it over to you, uh, and you can kind of reflect on, on my thoughts, all right? Uh, big picture, God, with the Bible teaches that God exists, that God is the creator of all things, and that God has filled his world with good gifts and given many good gifts to people. And one of those gifts, not the only, but one of those gifts is the gift of sex. In the Bible, sex is a good gift, not something that is dirty, but a good gift that is to be, to be used and to be enjoyed uh, within the context of marriage and a marriage between a man and a woman. This is Genesis, as we, we read a little bit earlier. When human beings turn away from God, uh, what we call the fall, human beings turn away in all kinds of ways. We turn against God in multitudes of different ways, and one of those ways is our sexuality. I'm, I'm being careful to say this because I don't want to make this the be-all, end-all topic or the be-all, end-all, whatever, if we're going to talk about sin. We've got to say all of us have turned away from God. Everyone has gone to their own way. And one of the ways that we do this is in the area of sex and sexuality. So then when we go on, what does the Bible teach about sex? We said it's between a man and a woman within marriage. There are many ways that we turn away, and in homosexuality is not, we don't want to just put this up, there's the only thing. The Bible, for instance, says it is wrong to commit adultery on your wife or your husband. It is uh, not in favor of uh, four or five people getting married together. It's not in favor of you sleeping with your cousin or with your brother. It's not in favor of lust. It's not in favor of all kinds of different forms of sexuality outside of sex within a married relationship. And so homosexuality falls within this as well. The behavior of some homosexuality, as we read in the 1 Corinthians 6 passage, is one of those behaviors that says, if you read that list, nobody gets into the kingdom. I don't know if you saw that list. Some people want to pick on that one. That list was long, like it was like people who are stealing, giving themselves to this, sexually immoral, people living together. All of this is a way of turning away from God and away from His design. And so that, this is one of the areas that this uh, falls within. 
So now here comes the question, though. You become a Christian. You say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I I need you to make me right with you, and I want to follow you now. I want to follow what you have said. What do you do when you've done that, and yet then you continue to experience same-sex attraction? That's the question we're getting at. So this is not a, I don't, we're not, this conversation not right now is not on behaviors. We're not talking about somebody who is going out and having casual gay sex all the time. That's not what this question's asking, particularly. It's way lower than that, lower as in our desire level. We're asking the question, okay, so I become a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. Now what do I do with my same-sex attraction? So my answer to this question, Paul, is it depends on what we mean by feelings. Sure. This is what I, as soon as I read this question, I said, it all depends what you mean by feelings. So the Bible, for instance, makes a clear distinction between temptation and sin. Jesus, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So we could say Jesus had feelings, maybe desires that came in, but he did not give in to any temptation and sin. The book of James in the first chapter talks about desires that we all have, and if we give over to the behaviors that follow from these desires, then that leads to sin, which leads to death. But James seems to also be making a distinction between desires and between sin itself. So I think it's possible, depends what you mean by feelings, it's possible to have feelings and to not actually be sinning against God. So when I read this question, I thought maybe one of the best ways we can answer it is to actually flip it. If I were to flip it and I would say this to you, is it sinful for a married man to have feelings toward a woman whom he is not married to? Depends on what you mean by feelings. If a married man sees a beautiful woman and he just notices that she is beautiful, He's just apprehending beauty. There's more of a draw to her than, say, to a woman sitting to her left. At that point, I don't think the Bible says that is sin. That is an apprehension of beauty. It's something that you look up, you think, oh, that's, that's a beautiful woman. The big issue is what does he do with his next thoughts? Does he begin to look her up and down? Does he begin to undress her in his mind? Does he begin to do all kinds of other fantasies with her in his mind? That is when you cross from, I don't know if we're going to use the word feeling, this is a hard word to use, but that's the question, when you move from a feeling towards what the Bible calls lust. And lust is indeed in the Bible a sin. And of course, the behaviors that would follow if we were to fantasize and then meet her and have a relationship with her, those would also be considered to be sin. So I think we answer it much in the same way. If we say, take a woman, and she apprehends that another woman is beautiful, and there's even a draw to that other woman, that's not necessarily a sin. It's what she does with those thoughts. It's what she does next. Does she begin to engage in lustful thoughts? Does she begin to pursue a same-sex relationship? That, to me, is the dividing line on that. So I want to turn it over to you, but I'm just going to say one more thing. I think, I think this is going to be important. You got a few minutes on your story, I'm, so I'm, it's okay. You're with a preacher. I mean, this is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm trying not to preach today, but I'll, I'll, we'll have a conversation. <laughs> I, I think it's very important before I, I get you to respond to this. I want to speak to people at Central who um, maybe when you just think of this entire subject, you just think I cannot comprehend how anyone could experience same-sex attraction. Particularly, maybe if you are older, maybe you don't even know anybody who is gay. For, for many, I think, more conservative, I'm going to say older Christians, generally speaking, 
They just say, I cannot comprehend any of this. And then they might turn to saying, I just find it gross and uh, and, and then they start to kind of have this bad language toward it. So I just, I think I quickly need to say a few words uh, to people who are in this kind of a, a situation. People maybe say it's just always a choice. And even just hearing your story, Paul, and I have heard many stories and read many stories. Indeed, it can be a choice for some people if they want to experiment in things. But it does not seem to me that in many situations it is a choice. Many stories that we hear, it seems we do not know the answer, but it seems like a complex thing to do with childhood, to do with all kinds of things where people, when they're even six years old, eight years old, 12 years old, are saying, I'm beginning to experience this. There's not even any, there's not sexual abuse necessarily there. There's not necessarily pornography in there. They begin to say that. So we're not answering the question of where does it come from. I think the answer is complex, and I don't really know a lot of the answer. But here is what I want to say to all of us, especially if you're a Bible-believing conservative Christian. This should not surprise you. It should not not be surprising at all, and here's why. Our biblical theology of the fall into sin, what we believe happened in Genesis 3, has far-reaching effects that all of us, every single one of us, have been, we might use the word, bent in different ways. And so some people, because of the fall, are more bent towards worry and towards fear. This is where their life goes. And so other people look at that and they say, what are you so stressed about all the time? Why are you so fearful? Just trust God. What's your problem? It's easy. Other people are maybe bent towards anger. Some are more bent towards lust. Our biblical doctrine of the fall should say to us, we are all bent and we're all bent in different ways And when we see other people who are struggling with things that maybe we don't struggle with, we should not be like, oh, come on, what is wrong with you? What we should do is look at ourselves and say, oh, I got my own issues. So just as a quick personal example, I have never in my life, not even one time, had any desire for gambling. I've never had any, like I know people are totally addicted to gambling, and this is a major, major struggle for them. I've never bought a lottery ticket. I believe it or not, I've never even put a coin into a slot machine. Never. I have. I don't even see the attraction. Why it would even be fun? Right. That's just me. But then there are people who this is a major problem in their life, and it's something that has to be overcome. I think it goes the same thing with this. If you're sitting there saying, "I cannot understand people who experience same-sex attraction," okay, but don't you have your own issues? Don't you have your own things where you're not following the Lord? Lest I begin to develop them for you, do I need to spell it out? So that's why I just kind of want to level the playing field here at the beginning and uh, talk about this. So in answer to the question, I think the answer is it depends what it means on feelings, and I think I expounded that well enough. I've talked long enough. Yeah. You go ahead, Paul. <laughs> um, I think, Barton, you spoke to people who don't experience these feelings, yeah. and I think it's also important to, to address what someone who does experience these yeah. feelings, how you might think about this question or respond to please it. Please do, please do. And um, I think the first thing that needs to be said to somebody who is having same-sex feelings is that God, God loves you. God loves you immensely, and He is actively looking after you. He loves you, He's pursuing you, and He is actively looking after you in your life, no matter what you believe about God, no matter your labels or what you do with your life, God loves you. Um, For those people who experience same-sex feelings and are growing up in the church, um, I think it's important to talk. I think it's important to have these opportunities to talk about what we experience. Um, Talking with others is so important because there are many 
scenarios that come up in day-to-day -day life that you can't necessarily anticipate. Absolutely. There are many things as a child that I thought, even after I had sort of settled into my sexuality and accepted it, there were things that came up later in my life and I thought, oh, I didn't realize that that would be an issue or that would be a challenge or how do I manage this element of my life and this piece? And so it's good to have safe people to talk to. Great, yeah. Very yeah. Important. And I would say if you are ready to talk to someone about it, you want to look for somebody who's safe. Yep. You want to, it, it was hard enough for me to navigate life without having to deal with people who would have said things that were damaging or hurtful to me. Mm. Uh, and so looking for those safe people, and, and there are unsafe people in the church, and there are unsafe people outside of the church as well. And so discerning who's a safe person to talk to is important. And there, there are people at Central who have been safe people to me. That's great. Um, some of your members here are yeah. in my past. It's just, it's really cool that I can connect with them from time to time because mm -hmm. they've been mentors and helpful to me. Uh, so there are safe people at Central. So I, I imagine you meet people and hopefully that you can connect them to Absolutely. safe people to talk to. It's important. Yeah. And this is a conversation that goes on, obviously not so much publicly, but people behind the scenes right. talk with one another. This is something that we're working through. Uh, so, awesome. yeah, thank you for sharing those. I think yeah. even just to, to add to all of what we're just saying here is to clarify what the message of Christianity actually is. That it's the message of Christianity is not uh, to someone who experiences same-sex feelings, hey, fix yourself and then Jesus will accept you. That, right. that is not, let's just say this emphatically, that is not the message of the gospel. To fix all your sinful stuff, if that's what you want to call it, or whatever, deal with all that, then God will accept you. Same the other way, flip side, it's not just clean up your life from whatever you're experiencing and then finally God will accept you. Message of Christianity is it just levels all of us. This is what I level about it. it it's it's going to humble all of us, right? Yeah. It begins with we are all sinners and we all need a Savior. And then the great news, of course, is anyone who comes to Jesus Christ, He will never turn them away. Mm -hmm. And what an amazing thing to hear. Because as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people talk about how they feel like they cannot be accepted. Listen, here is, you want to talk about the most amazing person in the world? Yeah. Jesus says to anyone who will come to me, you bow the knee to me, you come to me, his arms are wide open, he receives anyone, no matter what you've done. So no matter how you're feeling today, if you come to Jesus and give him your life, you will find a Savior there who has arms open wide. Yeah. Important. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, I think we've done enough maybe on the first uh, question that we're dealing with. Let's move to the second one now. You asked the question of, can I publicly identify as homosexual and be a Christian? Um, again, Paul, I think this question could be taken uh, in different ways, uh, depending on meanings. Um, so maybe I'll let you start on this one. Uh, how, tell me how, just how you understand the question and maybe how you would respond to it. Well, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of what we're going to be doing is asking questions about the questions. That could be. Yeah. And, and but that's important, though. Let me just say this, because language really matters. Absolutely does. And, and what we all, sometimes absolutely we does. use a word and we mean it one way, and someone else hears it a totally different way. So even as you're listening to us, we're yeah. trying to nuance things, define things. This is one of the most important things that yeah. we've got to do whenever we're talking with anybody <laughs> about this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's easier to do it one-on-one -on -one yes, as opposed is. to with lots of different people. So, right. uh, For me, this question, one, my first question is, does this mean uh, can I be publicly open about my sexuality and be a Christian? And my answer to that is I certainly hope so because I'm doing it right now. I'm talking about my sexuality mm. and I'm a Christian. So yes, in that sense, um, I think 
I think what really is the question here is, uh, can I be gay and be a Christian? I think if I, if I get to the core of it. Okay. Um, and different people answer that question differently. I know church people who say no to that, you cannot. And I know people in the queer community who say no, you cannot be gay and be a Christian. And I, I know people like me who have been harassed by people both in the church and in the queer community for saying that they are gay and Christian. Mm. So it's, it's mm. a very, very complex mm. situation. Um, some people, when they say, I am gay, when they say that, they simply mean that they are attracted to people of the same sex, period. That's all that they mean. Other people, when they say, I'm gay, in their minds, they're thinking about their attractions, but also perhaps the dating apps that they use, the clubs that they go to, the drugs that they use, participating in pride. And, and so there's, there's that sort of spectrum of understanding around right. what it means. So we're using the word gay, but people, again, people are using it in maybe totally different ways. Right. So we've got to define that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there are parts, so depending on how the word is being used, there may be parts of the definition that are not compatible with Christianity, sure. with following Jesus. Right. And, and, and you mentioned that earlier. Right. Um, but I just want to caution against sort of this battle. There is a battle happening internationally around language, around whether or not it's okay to say gay Christian and all this stuff. And I caution against the battle because I think it's a distraction. I think it distracts from the gospel, which says that anyone, anyone can be saved, that um, anyone can become a Christian regardless of their behavior, identity, uh, whatnot. Now, after that, once that sa saving moment has happened and someone is a Christian, we also believe now Christian, and we have to talk about the definition of Christian, Christian is somebody, a Christian is somebody who follows Jesus. And people who follow Jesus look more like Jesus, they sound more like Jesus, they act more like Jesus. And so it's not always, we know that it's not easy to follow Jesus. We don't always follow him perfectly, but we know who peop that people who profess to be a Christian and who are saved will look more like Christ. And so I believe that if someone is a Christian, their life will be marked with the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is that Spirit-empowered self-control that we are able to, not that we repress anything about us or that we deny who we are or that we're, we're lying to ourselves, or, and not that we're gritting our teeth either, but that we are consciously making a decision to follow Jesus, to allow the Spirit to, walk, uh, to work in our lives and that we're walking with Him and we're making decisions to follow His teachings about sex and marriage. Um, and so, if, I, if I'm a Christian, that means that I will pick up my cross and that I accept the life that, that Christ has called me to. Um, I would say I cannot call myself a Christian and refuse to follow Jesus. Right, yeah. yeah and well, some, some people do. Sure. Some people do for a while. They might hold on to that and, and say they're Christians and attend church, but not follow Jesus. And I'd say, you can't do that. Or you can for a little bit but it doesn't hold, it doesn't last. Something yeah. has to give. Yeah. I've heard people, too, who would say, you know, they're same-sex attracted, they talk about the struggles of it, 
But they would quote the verse you just quoted, taking up your cross, and then Jesus goes on that if you lose your life for me, you will find it. And so they, often they would talk about clinging to that promise of saying, this is hard to deny, uh, to put to death anything in me that is sinful, uh, to be able to follow Christ and be faithful to Him. That's not easy to do. Um, but that's not easy for anybody on whatever your issue is, all right? It uh, doesn't matter. So the person who has got a lot of anger in their life, putting to death any of that anger is not simple either. Uh, but that great promise of uh, you will find your life is a tremendous promise that Jesus gives through the struggle too, right? I think that the element that's challenging is, is that um, sexuality can be a very visible thing or yes, it it's, can be practiced in a very visible way. Hmm. And there are some things that people struggle with that are not as visible. It's true. And yeah, so true. It, is to, it might be harder for somebody who's experiencing those attractions to, it might feel unfair. Well, why do I have to pick up my cross and you don't have to pick up your cross? Mm. But the truth, as you said, is that we all do. Oh, man. And as yeah. a pastor, I have sat with many people whose struggle in life has nothing to do with sexuality. Uh, and they have difficult, difficult times. Uh, so uh, lot, everyone has their crosses that we, uh, we got to yeah. pick up. But yeah, in, in answer to that question too, I think, I mean, the, part of the answer is you can, people can do whatever they want. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. They yeah. can. The, the question is, uh, can we define a Christian? So that's where we talked earlier about behavior. So the First Corinthians 6 passage, uh, technically, according to the Bible, you cannot pursue a behavior of same-sex relationships and call yourself a Christian, biblically speaking. Um, but can you struggle with this, like you've mentioned, as a thorn in the flesh? Uh, absolutely, you can. And uh, as you mentioned, I think this can also open up a lot of doors. Yeah. Uh, somewhere along the line, you were more public about this, opens up a door, we're able to have this conversation. Um, and there's many other kind of doors that can open. Right. Uh, but uh, I think a huge part of this discussion uh, that concerns me is sometimes people make their sexuality almost everything about themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what I always want to say to people is your sexuality is a part of who you are. That's de definitely true. But there's so much more to you than just your sexuality. Uh, don't make that just the, the defining marker of your life. Now, you, you shared a great little illustration with me when we were chatting before right, all this. Yeah. Uh, about that. So maybe you can just share it with the people now. We'll show this diagram that you'd send over to us. But this is something, an illustration that I love so much because it's so simple. Um, for, for some people, their sexuality is like this dot, um, and, it's, it's, and, and the, their identity is the whole square, and that the dot occupies such a large part of their identity. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's probably why the call to give to to interpret this in, in a way that Jesus would ask is so hard because it's mm. such a big part yeah, of their yeah. life. Sure, sure. And so our world asks us, or some people in the world ask us to celebrate this dot, that this dot is, is the most important part, and we are to celebrate this above everything else. On the other hand, there are people, uh, many Christians, who would say this dot needs to be exterminated. And there has been in the past, there have been efforts to try to remove same-sex attractions and, to, and, and in ways that have been extremely damaging to right. people, and a lot of hurt has been done. And I don't think, I don't think that this overemphasis or this uh, idea to exterminate this, mm. I don't think either of those are healthy. Mm. And I, I say that uh, a better approach is to expand the whole box, and, and this is what this is what I think God calls us to. He tells us that our identity is bigger than just our sexuality. There's so many parts about 
Absolutely. our sexuality. Um, and so for me, my sexuality is a part of my life. Yes, um, it's a part that God has allowed in his sovereignty. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, but it's also not the most important part of my life, nor is it the most interesting part about my life. Unfortunately, I don't get asked to talk about my rock collection very often, you know, in churches. People don't ask me to do that. It's not in our Ask Anything series. So I You're not doing a series on geology? I cannot have you I would back. love that, you know. But no, this, so it's not, it's, not, it's not the most important part of my life, nor is it the most interesting part about my life. Um, but it's there. It is yeah. part of my life. And, and I think as Christians, we're called to look at our entire identity oh, yeah, yeah. through the filter of our identity in Christ. So good, so good. Yeah, so the biggest part of that box, and Jesus like blows that box even massive, right? Uh, you know, you are a child of God. Uh, you are justified before him. The text that we were reading earlier, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You've been justified. You are a child of the king. Those are massive identity markers. Those are key, right? Uh, along with, I'm a human being, and uh, whatever other little parts of my identity are major parts of my identity. Critical to make that box so much bigger. And something that that is important to me is, is that sometimes other people want to tell us what story we have to follow. They look at our identity, they look at our lives, and they tell us what story we have to follow. Right. And what, what God has been teaching me is that He has a story for my life. Hmm. He has a story that, that I can follow. And when I choose to follow God's story for my life, it's, it makes it a little bit easier to pick up my cross because nice. I know that it's part of the plan He has for my life. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, our time is ticking away a little bit on us, but the good news is we agreed that I'm only going to talk on the next question for, so we can get to the last question, because uh, the next question is this. Uh, how does the church... So I, I guess I'm getting to represent the church. Wow. Didn't know I represented the church, but I'll try. Uh, how does the church justify its teaching that the LGBTQ community should not enjoy civil rights equal to the rest of society? Now, I've got to tell you, when I read that question, I was quite surprised. I, I thought, I didn't know that the church had that position. I'm, uh, I, I was actually, to be honest, I was pretty shocked. So I'm very pleased to tell you, I think there's a giant misunderstanding. Whoever's asked this question, where this is coming from, I think there's quite a large misunderstanding that I think you'll be pleased uh, to hear a response to. So I'm going to rip through this so that we can then uh, get to the final question and use our remaining time. First of all, just what, let's define. What do we mean when we use the term civil rights? What do we mean by that? We mean... Um, that, a pe that people should enjoy social opportunities and protection regardless of things like race, religion, or sexuality. That's what we mean by civil rights. And so that includes things like the right to be protected from violence, the right to defend yourself, the right to a fair trial, the right to assemble, and of course, the right to vote. So, so here's what I want to say. I, I do travel in a lot of circles. I, I know a lot of pastors and know a lot of Christians and I can say this pretty broadly, aside from some very extreme right-wing Christians who are American, not Canadian, uh, I, I'm going to say that amongst Canadian pastors, Canadian denominations, and every single pastor I know and almost every individual Christian I know would say that the opposite of this, that people should enjoy civil rights. 
No one I know would say a trans person should be denied the right to vote. Nobody I know would say that if somebody is gay, we should not protect them from any violence that might be coming their way. In fact, every, I'm just saying this as a blanket statement because I, I do really mean it. I can't even think of an exception in all my years. Every pastor, every denomination, and every individual Christian I know would say that anyone should be treated with dignity and respect because everyone is made in the image of God. So, I don't know if that's new to you, but that should be good news, that as Christians, our bottom line view of how we treat other people is everyone's made in the image of God, everyone is worthy of dignity and respect. It doesn't matter about even what behaviors, even if we disagree with their behaviors. Uh, That would be what I hear everybody saying. So, I hope that helps you. However, when I thought about this more, I thought, okay, maybe the question was just not framed precisely enough, and maybe what's actually being asked here is, how does the church justify its teaching that the LGBTQ community should not enjoy the civil right of marriage equal to the rest of society? Of course, that would probably… Uh, well, it's going to depends on which… Are we talking about the T in there? Are we talking about the B? I don't know. Is, is the B… Are we talking about polygamous marriages? Uh, so, it gets confusing for me again, but let me just take a stab at it in case that is actually the question um, that you are asking. So, a little bit of history. When we go back, it was 2005 in Canada when uh, we were, I think, the third nation in the world uh, to legalize same-sex marriages. The issue for Christians at that time uh, was not to do with things, uh, to do with civil rights of like voting or even having tax status. Uh, we have common law people who are living together, who enjoy certain tax privileges that single people just as roommates would not enjoy together. I'm not sure many Christians, even back in 2005, would have said uh, that two men, for instance, living together should be denied those things. Maybe, I'm just projecting here, but I think even many Christians would have been okay with it being called a union or a partnership or something like that or a common law relationship, but most certainly Christians did object to redefining marriage. And of course, we object to it because we think, we think and we believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is defined as a man and a woman for life. And so, Christians most certainly did argue for that and did not think that we should change the definition of marriage, just like we don't think we should change it uh, to include four people or to include a brother and a sister or to include anybody else. It should be just a man and a woman. That's always been the Christian position. However, having said that, I think as Christians we all understand that that ship has sailed. That is settled a long time ago. This is the society we live in, and we will live in this society. And of course, if if you want to call it marriage, that's fine. As Christians, we will continue to teach and to believe and to practice uh, what we would call uh, the book of Genesis teachings on marriage, where it is a man and a woman within marriage. So, I don't know if that's a, a helpful answer for you, but the question was a little bit vague, so I wasn't sure exactly how to answer it, but there's my quick stab at it. Let's move along, shall we? Yeah, sure. All right. Now that it opened up a can of worms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, yeah. I'll get the emails later. We'll deal with those later on. Yeah. All right, question number four. Uh, how should the church relate to the LGBTQ community? All right, this is our last one. And again, I think much could be said here, Paul. Um, but I just thought, you know what? We, we don't have a ton of time, but I thought that we, I want to talk about this a little bit more broadly uh, on a big picture level. And we can get into some more specifics if we want. But Christmas is coming. A couple weeks. You got your lights up yet? I hope not. It's not time yet. Slow down, people. But we're coming up to Christmas. And of course, one of the most famous Christmas verses of all is John 1.14. It says, the Word became flesh. We always celebrate this. And He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. So we've seen the glory of the Son of God, God Himself come down in flesh. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. So 
what is this glory? What is it that's so glorious about God the Son and, and, and Him dwelling amongst us? When we look at Him, what is it that is so glorious? John defines it. He says He is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So this is my grid. Whenever I yeah. think through this question, uh, this is the grid that we need to have both grace. Well, grace, we need to have grace and we need to have truth, yeah. and we need to speak on both of these topics. So why don't I let you start on this one, and then uh, I'll jump in and piggyback off what you're going to talk about. Absolutely. And um, I would say that in my own life, my, uh, my understanding of how to live out grace and truth has changed. Because I think at the beginning, grace for me just meant sort of like, I'm just going to be like tolerant. You know, I'm just going to sort of like overlook things. Um, but as I've gotten to know God and experience His grace in my life, I've noticed that God's grace presents itself as unmerited favor and immense kindness to me. And so I would say if we are going to treat the LGBTQ community with grace, that we would live that out in kindness and, and, and love. And uh, practically, that would look like if to saying hello to your neighbor and getting to know them Absolutely. and your colleague, asking them about their vacation. How did it go? Uh, are you going to get that promotion coming up? Wishing well mm -hmm. to people, to our, to our neighbors. And, and we have stories in the Bible where people look down on their neighbors and Jesus called them to love radically the people that in the past we might have thought were unworthy. Sure. And so I think that's the challenge is to, to hold grace up higher than just, you know, we're not, yes. we won't ruffle feathers. Right, right. Yeah. And I think I, I've done the same, or I, or I wanted to say about grace, if you're struggling with grace, what has helped me in my own life is to identify what grace from God looks like. Mm. Experience His grace, mm. and then I know what the model is yeah. for other people. Well and I would say the same for truth, is that sometimes I think we have lowered truth down to the idea of just telling people what they're doing wrong mm. and just quoting Bible verses at them and that, that outline sin or brokenness. And I would say that truth, if I think about how God has spoken truth to me, it is a much more uh, pastoral and caring approach with truth that the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word brings me life and brings me hope and brings me joy. The gospel is good news. And so I think that we can speak truth to people uh, in a way that, that addresses the multitude of areas where they are not believing the God, God's truth. That might be even if someone is looking for love, but looking for love in the wrong places. How can we speak truth into that situation and say you were made to love and to be loved by God. Hmm. That, is, that is truth. If someone is experiencing anxiety, and a lot of people are these days, right. how do we call people into the truth of the peace that God offers when we are hidden in Him? Hmm. So yes, there are difficult things in God's truth that we can talk about, and I think as we, talk about, as we share about our own struggles with, with God's calling on our lives, but also the joys that we experience when we live out God's truth, I think that's a very effective way. And again, I say, if you're struggling with speaking truth, I would challenge you to examine how the Lord has spoken truth into your life 
and follow his model. Yeah, that's the way of Jesus, right? Even just piggybacking on all this, uh, what I find so amazing is Jesus from Matthew chapters 5 to 7 and then after 5 to 7. So Matthew chapters 5 to 7 is his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, which begins with sheer good news, speaking on this in two weeks, trailer, uh, and then he begins with, <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. You, are you poor in spirit? Are you needy? Do you need a savior? Congratulations, you get the entire kingdom. It's just good news, it's grace. Yeah. And then he moves on in his sermon, and Jesus upholds a very high ethic on all of life, from things like honesty, uh, to retaliation, to loving your enemies. And he does hit on marriage, divorce, and lust. That's the passage where he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Take take." All steps necessary to kill lust in your life is what Jesus is saying. So he's got this tremendously high ethic that he calls us to. Mm -hmm. That's Matthew 5 to 7 where Jesus is telling us how we need to live within his kingdom. Then he leaves the mountain where he's giving this sermon, and he does a whole bunch of things that seem to go against his very sermon. So, so now he's out like hanging out with Zacchaeus, who is like stealing from people. Jesus, didn't you just talk about how like we got to be honest and not steal? And he's hanging, a prostitute comes. And she starts putting perfume on his feet. Does he turn to her and say, uh, have you read my sermon yet about uh, yeah, sexuality? This is very important. You cannot come to my feet until you... No. In other words, he keeps... I could go through the examples. He calls Matthew, you know, which side of the spectrum do you fall on? More grace or truth? Uh, I, I think I know Christians who are just the truth. This is the truth, and they stand on the truth. But it's like they're so prickly, like no one would ever want to be around them. Uh, they've never known a gay person. They talk about it all the time behind the scenes, but they, they're so derogatory. They're so mm -hmm. condemning in their language. And I'm just like, wow, like you are missing so much. Then on the flip side, uh, I get more concerned. And let me just say it this way. On this side, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, it's a little bit more of the older, more conservative Christians who are stronger on truth. And also the other side too, so don't nobody be offended. I'm going to get everybody. Uh, the, younger, the younger people tend to be a bit more on grace and aren't often willing to talk about the truth because, well, I just don't want to offend anybody, and I, don't want to, I just want to make sure everybody knows that I love them. So super important. They're very good. They have lots of gay friends. They're hanging out together. They, their friends know that they love them, but they never talk about anything to do with truth. So these are two extremes, and I think we're all somewhere in here. But I would just encourage you today as you're listening, where are you in here? The way of Jesus is a way of conviction and compassion. It's a way of grace and of truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, oh, those, those, that's an amazing thing. Matthew 5 to 7, and then after that, he's just doing totally different stuff. Right. Ti our time is ticking on us, Paul. We had a couple more things we are going to talk about, but uh, I think we covered the big stuff. Anything else you want to add in there? Or? No, that's good. If we're pressed for time, that's, then that's good. Okay. Yeah. What, what I want to do now is just move right into our time of response and the Lord's Supper. I want this to be seamless. And here's the reason why. I want to lead us through a time of confession as we come to the Lord's Supper, a time of confession over all of our sins. Uh, as we've talked about, the cross just it levels the playing field. The Bible's story begins with God created you and you're loved, but you are, we have all sinned and we've all turned away from God, but God has sent His Son for us. We all must come to the place where we see our own sin, where we're not looking down our nose at other people, even if we don't understand their sins. We all need to be humbled before the foot of the cross and say, God, I've got my own issues. So in this time of confession, you can confess whatever sins are on your heart. But I'm praying that God's going to meet with us in a new and a powerful way this morning. 
And because we're talking about the issue of sexuality, I want to encourage us to reflect on our sexual sins, whatever those may be. And I want us to come and to confess them before the Lord. And I'm going to give you space to do this. I want you to be specific with the Lord, this situation, that situation, this thought, whatever it may be. And as we confess our sins, I'm praying that God would meet us in a powerful way and He would bring healing to us for our past and begin to put us on to a new future. So I want us to move into a time of confession now, and I'm going to put up some verses on the screen. The first verse just to reflect on before we come to the Lord's Supper is this from Proverbs. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So we're going to put Psalm 51 on the screen for you, and I'm just going to allow you some personal space right now to just come before God, and this is a prayer of confession that you can pray whatever sins there may be. And so here in the live audience, we're just going to have some silence just for a minute or two. If you're at home or you're with other people at the moment, just take a time in personal prayer and come before God, humble yourself, and whatever your sins may be, particularly your sexual sins today, confess them before God, praying these words along with King David, and these are his words of confession for his sexual sins. Let's move into a time of confession now. I want to lead you in a time now of a prayer written by John Knox in the 1500s, a famous, one of the famous reformers that uh, Lucas was alluding to earlier. This prayer I want us to read together, so if you are in the live audience or if you're in the fellowship hall, you can read out loud together. If you're at home, uh, whoever you're with, let's say this out loud together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. If you confess your sins before God, this is the first step in humbling yourself. If you sense that you are poor in spirit and you say, God, because of my sins, I don't have anything to offer, then rejoice. 
For the good news of the gospel is anyone who does this receives the kingdom of God. Listen to these words from Paul in the book of Ephesians where he says, In him we have redemption. That is, we've been set free from slavery through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's grace is so rich, he can bring anyone into his kingdom. So sometimes we say words like, uh, you are more sinful than you've ever thought. But in Jesus Christ, you are more loved, you are more accepted than you ever dreamed. This is the good news for anyone who confesses their sins before God. Listen to some more good news, some words of good news from the Psalms. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Hear that good news and receive that good news. For when we look at our sins, we know we are dirty. We know that we have sinned against him. And yet, as we read in 1 Corinthians 6 earlier, through Jesus Christ, we are washed We are sanctified, that is, we are made pure, and we are justified through what Jesus Christ has done for us through His death on the cross. So, get your communion uh, uh, bread and your cup ready at this time. Here we have some little smaller ones in in the audience for us today. This table is something that is for Christians, for those who have confessed their sins to Jesus Christ. And if that is you, we invite you to partake. This meal is meant to celebrate what Christ has done for us. This this entire thing is meant to point to His grace that God would send His Son in order to save sinners like me and like you. This whole thing is also meant to point to the unity that we have in the body of Christ, that all of us are sinners in need of grace, that all of us still have thorns in the flesh we struggle with, that all of us have temptations that we have to face, crosses we have to bear, but in Christ we are one. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of what God has done for us through His body on the cross. So, Paul, I wonder if I can ask you to give thanks for Christ's body, which was given for us. Sure. Father God, as we As we eat this bread, we remember your body broken on the cross. In taking it, we declare that we have been brought into your body. And we look forward to the day when we are reunited with you and all of our desires are perfectly fulfilled. And we thank you because this is possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. And Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it was through Christ's shed blood on the cross that we are washed, that all the the dirt of our sin from the past has been washed away so that we are cleansed and we are made right with Him. The blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So, Paul, would you give thanks now for Christ's blood, which was shed for us? And God, once again, we would thank you for this, the cup that reminds us of your blood shed the steep cost that you paid to redeem us, the cross that you bore, pouring out your life so that we who were dead may know life. We thank you for the obedience of Jesus 
and his blood shed that makes this all possible. Amen. Jesus said, this, is my, this cup is my blood. This is the new covenant which Jesus has made with us. He says we are to drink it in remembrance of him. Let us hear another word of good news. These words from Romans chapter 4, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. If you've confessed your sins to him today, those sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. This is what Christ has done for us, that our sins might never be counted against us through his body given for us and his blood shed for us on the cross. Join me in giving thanks right now through prayer, and then we're going to sing two songs in close. Father, we are so grateful that you have sent your Son for us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you would become a man, that you would give your life for us. What a high price was paid for our salvation. Oh, but we are grateful. And so we give you thanks today. Thank you that that those who confess their sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We give you the thanks and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.